Light a Candle by Lindsay Cornett. I wear tracks into the floors of our home. I move from upstairs to down, into the bathroom and out, from changing table to trash can, from sink to stove to fridge to table, repeat ad nauseum. Once dinner time rolls around, I realize I've barely sat down all day. I'm not really a pedometer or fitness tracker person, so I can't say how many steps I get each day, but without a doubt, it's like three million. Meanwhile, my middle child never stops talking. He repeats every question an average of 4.2 times and begins every sentence with, Mom? Mom? If it's true that men only speak 7,000 words a day compared to a woman's 20,000, Leo is stealing the personal allotment of at least a dozen grown men. And when I say things like, I'm exhausted, can't I have a moment of peace? My own overthinking brain looks around the room and says, hold my beer. I long to count myself among the contemplatives, those in a constant state of meditative bliss with rich inner prayer lives. I long to be the Ann Voskamp of central Indiana, quiet and calm, my speech rhythmic and considered, peppered with far fewer likes, ums, and you knows. I want to draw profound connections between the scripture I read and the literature on my bookshelf and the latest pop culture headlines. But most days, I'm too busy trying to remember what I meant to add to my grocery list and searching under furniture for someone's misplaced lovey. As a child, I loved to watch Return to Me with my mom, sisters, and nanny Ruth. We rented it from Blockbuster at least once a month and eventually just purchased our own copy. In the movie, Minnie Driver's character is receiving a heart transplant when her grandfather visits the hospital chapel. Slowly and silently, he lights a candle before kneeling to pray. His is not the only flame. They flicker all around in tiny red votives, bouncing light across the dim room. The first time I attended an Ash Wednesday church service, my mom asked, so are you a Catholic now or something? The church I grew up in eschewed anything remotely traditional. Nary a hymn ever sung, casual was the name of the game. On any given Sunday, who knew what might happen? I was in college when I encountered Lent for the first time, and a married adult when I attended a church that, while still of the non-denominational Protestant variety, made space for some more high church traditions, hymns, call and response, prayers and liturgy, Advent, and Lent. I discovered that a little predictability was helpful for my scattered brain. I found meaning in repetition. I could focus more on God's presence because I didn't spend any mental energy wondering what will happen next. In his welcome each week, our pastor would say, thanks for bringing the church with you into this building today. Back at home, my attention is governed by the whims and needs of the toddlers in my care. Diaper changes and spills, snacks and pretend play, tantrums and impossible questions. I zip back and forth, less like the graceful butterfly I'd like to be and more like a drunken housefly. I want my prayers to be more than just, please, Jesus, help me not scream at this child. But if it's true what the pastor said, that I bring the church into a building with me, isn't there more for me here? Isn't there presence and communion and sacrament, hope and joy and peace? I have learned that my prayers need not start with, dear God, and end with, amen. After all, it was Paul who admonished us to pray without ceasing. But how? 
When my children demand my attention, my words, my brain power all day long, how then can I pray? I have learned to light a candle. The first time I stepped into a Catholic church was as a high schooler. I was on a senior trip through Europe. In six different countries, I stepped into ancient and ornate cathedrals, and my eyes always went to the people holding long matches, waiting for the flame to catch their votive candle of choice. Years later, I sat in a church service while my three children contentedly played in the children's ministry rooms down the hall, and our pastor invited us to visit a table in the back of the room to light a candle. I'm sure we all have someone or something on our minds today, he said. Whether it is Syrian refugees or a cancer diagnosis in your family or a stressful situation at work, I invite you to light a candle. Lighting a candle, he said, was a way of wordlessly acknowledging the worries and needs of those in our lives who needed God to show up somehow. A family we knew had just lost their days-old baby, born prematurely after his mom developed preeclampsia. And I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to light a candle. I stood at the table for a moment, my wordless prayer sending a small trail of smoke up to the ceiling, somehow articulating my worry and heartbreak and sadness better than I could manage with words. My eyes scanned the table, dozens of other small flames carrying our needs to Jesus. I spend many of my days at home. Sure, we venture to the park when the weather is nice, and I try to get our money's worth out of our museum and zoo memberships. We go to a church playgroup on Monday mornings and volunteer at my first grader school on Fridays. But much of each week is spent within the walls of our house. I love it there, but the loud children piling laundry and sprawling toys seem to rule the roost most of the time. My heart is torn between these small but significant needs in front of me and the enormous and overwhelming realities of the world out there. So on my kitchen counter, I keep a candle ready and waiting. I see a headline about a school shooting and I light a candle. My husband texts to say a coworker is in the hospital. I light a candle. I hear talk of tension between our local government and our city's community. I light a candle. A friend has applied for a new job, and so I light a candle. My children will not stop fighting all dang morning. Light a candle. I wear those tracks in the floor, but each time I walk into the kitchen, I see it flicker from the corner of my eye, orange and gold and glowing, bringing my attention back to the reality that God is present. God is at work. God is listening. I am asked to be a part of God's work here in my home and outside in the world, and of course, by prayer. Any ordinary day is a good time to light a candle. Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing this piece with our community. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, I'd love to ask you the same questions I've been asking other writers this season. And today's questions are, what is one of your personal strengths or your secret mama superpower? Good question. I think that um, my background as a teacher and my personality type has helped me um, in that I feel like I am pretty good at explaining complicated, complex things in a way that makes sense to my children. It's I really find so much like meaning and joy in motherhood in some of those hard conversations, you know, much more than I find it in like the behavior management and mm -hmm. changing diapers and all of that. And I just enjoy those conversations. And I, I 
I don't know. I just find so much joy in trying to figure out like, how can I convey this in a way that makes sense to my little children's developing brains? Mm, That's awesome. So what would you say is your favorite household chore and then your least favorite? I like doing the dishes. Mm -hmm. For a long time, we did not have a dishwasher in our house. And Mm -hmm. I have just learned to really love the process. I don't love it every day. You know, sometimes I look at the pile and I'm like, oh, not again. But I just enjoy kind of, it gives me an excuse to tune everything out, to just kind of focus on the task at hand. And it's one of those things that doesn't require a lot of brain power. So my mind can Mm -hmm. kind of wander to other things. And so I, I really come to enjoy that, which I know that's something that, that we have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, my least favorite is putting away laundry. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I hate it so much that I just do. And yeah. I don't mind washing or the drying or the folding. It's just putting it away. It's just getting it back to its spot. Yeah. It trips me up all the time. I will... I try to do one load of laundry a day, but inevitably it gets piled up because I haven't put any of the loads away. So I have no more clean, you know, no more available baskets. It's just a thing. I don't know why I hate it, but I just do. That's funny. Well, maybe as your kids get older and they can do that part of the job. (laughs) Yes, that would be very nice. And I would say I don't enjoy doing the dishes, but I have found my time in the kitchen when I am doing the dishes to be a place that God meets me. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit less terrible when I know that, okay, I'm going to put on this music. I'm going to just tune out all of the worry and frustration of anything else going on in my house and Mm -hmm. really use that time to meet with God. So for me, it's not about liking the dishes. I just like to meet with God. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. Yeah. So I would like to ask you, how do you find, create, or cultivate peace in your home? I think that communication is a really big part of that, maybe the most important part. I, um, I feel like, I don't know, growing up in my family, maybe we didn't always communicate so well. Mm -hmm. Um, and my natural tendency is to want to just bottle things up inside and I can kind of really get caught up in my head and never express what I'm thinking or feeling to the people around me. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I I really like writing so much, Mm -hmm. but I've just learned that communication is really key. I have to learn to say what I'm thinking um, and trust that like the people in my family love me, you know, and are going to be here for me one way or the other. Brene Brown has been super helpful for me in that regard. Mm -hmm. I know that a couple months ago in our conversation, I recommended Brene Brown books to everybody. And Mm -hmm. she has the one story she tells where she recommends using the phrase, the story I'm making up in my head is dot, dot, dot. And that sort of just like gives me permission to say the crazy thing that I know is probably not true. And yet I can't stop, you know, that thought from circling around in my head a lot. Like if I'm fighting with my husband about something or... So yeah, I think good communication is is really, really important to maintaining peace. Otherwise, at least for me, a lot of resentment and bitterness can start to build up. Mm-hmm. That's just so honest. And I think you're really right about communication being uh, a way that we can really establish peace in our homes. And I think for me, uh, a lot of years ago when we first got married, there were so many things that I either said in haste that weren't the entire truth of the situation, mm-hmm. just like my tiny little view on it. And other times that I did not speak up about what I needed at a given time. And then I would be frustrated that my need wasn't met or responded to. But 
I just learned my husband can't actually read my mind. <laughs> I know. So funny. I was just saying that to somebody else recently. Like, obviously we know that, right? That they can't read yeah. our minds. And yet I still get caught up in thinking that like, I should not have to explain things or like, I shouldn't have to articulate things. Yeah. And I don't know why I feel that way. It doesn't mean my husband loves me any less for me to have to say out loud what I need yeah. or want or think, you know? Yeah. So, We've started yeah. doing this practice really when we go into the weekend, because the weekend was always our train wreck time when I had been kind of taking care of the household while he's at work. So, you know, it's kind of what I say goes here. Yes. <laughs> and then when he comes home for the weekend, I was glad to have him, but it was just like we had very different desires for what our weekend time would look like. Mm -hmm. And so now on Fridays, we kind of sit down and sketch out some blocks of time on the weekend. Like, oh, do you want to mm -hmm. sleep in on this day? Do you want to, you know, go do these errands? And we just kind of time block the weekend so that everybody's desires can hopefully be met. And we know what's coming ahead since we have to bring seven children along with us. Yeah. <laughs> and that has yeah. helped a lot with just smoothing out our weekend time. And so that might be something to think of if you also have train wreck weekends like I did for years. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. We, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call them train wreck weekends, but I yeah. do find that a lot of times we get to like Sunday night and I'm frustrated because I'm like, well, I really wanted to get X, Y, and Z accomplished, or I really mm -hmm. wish we had spent more time outside or whatever yeah. um, but because you know we never really took the time to articulate all of that we just sort of did whatever presented itself in the moment mm -hmm. which is not always bad but I think mm -hmm. that that's probably a really smart practice that we can yeah. benefit from too oh well thank you Lindsay it's so nice to chat with you and I'll catch you again soon all right sounds good thanks Emily mm -hmm.